everybody. This is uh, David Dennis. I am one of the co-hosts on this uh, brand new podcast that we are starting up and trying out called Hold Up. And uh, I'm not alone on this uh, journey into the world of uh, potentially horrible nostalgic films. I am joined with... Hi, my name is Matthew Cleary. And I'm here with David Dennis. Nice to nice to be here, David. Nice to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> Even though we're thousands of miles apart, but that's the power of technology. Many countries um, so away yeah. from each other. <laughs> yeah, I am up in uh, like southern Ontario, Canada. And uh, where are you right now? I am in rural Colombia. I'm about four hours from Medellin in a small town called Segovia. So yeah, this this is kind of a show where we're gonna look back on uh, movies that people kind of have a nostalgia hard on for, <laughs> and then determine how well do they hold up in the world of the 2020s? Uh, is there like problematic things in them? Uh, are there things that could have been done better maybe if they if they had like cgi or better actors or access to the the kind of resources that they have today uh or are they just awesome and we should just accept them for the way they are i guess that's the big question it's you know it'd be interesting also to see some of these actors and actresses or actors and see what they're doing now and say hey this this minor character was played by so-and-so and who's now a huge star and you know sometimes you don't realize that that guy is in this movie too exactly yeah kind of tracing the the evolution of these uh these actors who we may or may not respect um so yeah i guess we'll just kind of say a little bit about ourselves and then that's it <laughs> for this because it's just like an introductory episode um so i guess i'll start with my my fascinating life um so yeah obviously born born and raised here in southern ontario in like a, a kind of the the opposite of your life in a lot of ways because i was born in like a super evangelical like fundamentalist christian family I uh, grew up going to church and going to youth group and being a good uh, church boy and all that stuff. Ne- never did that much fun, wild stuff in my youth. Uh, and then when I was in my mid to late 20s, I decided to move to Taiwan. I taught English there for a while. I uh, came back to Canada for a bit. Uh, had a crappy job that I hated, so I quit that job, and then I moved to Colombia, and then that's where the two of us met when I was teaching English in South Colombia. And then now I'm, I just finished my final year of my undergrad of university doing East Asia studies and Japanese language, so that's a thing that I kind of know about. <laughs> so I'm sure if we ever talk about like ninja movies or something like that, I can talk about all the historical inaccuracies and that'll be fun. But yeah, I guess that's it for me. And then, uh, yeah, you want to tell us a little bit of your backstory, Matthew? Sure. Um, you know, born, born in uh, upstate New York, sort of a, like you said, a different sort of upbringing in terms of not having a very strict um, – not, not that my parents were completely uh, 
let me do anything I wanted. But interestingly enough, in terms of movies, I remember sometimes um, saying, like, you know, the teacher would be like, so what did you guys do this weekend? And saying something like, oh, yeah, I watched Wall Street. And, and the teacher being like, that's not a kid's movie. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually was exposed Yeah, I, I didn't see Wall Street until I was, like, 23 or something. Oh, and that's one of my favorite movies, too. I love Oliver Stone. Uh, that's and that's one of those things. There's a lot of movies I watched as a kid that were like they weren't like you know some horror gore fest or something, but they just were they were like adult movies, like a Wall Street sort of sort of movie. Anyway, I was a lawyer for I was a bartender, then a lawyer for eleven years. After law, I ended up in Columbia, where I did we we we've met once, I believe, in person, once only, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, and then didn't talk for a while, and then kind of became friends more after I came back to Canada. I think right, exactly. Just sort of like just met, social media sort of came in touch, and we realized we both love movies and both loved our time in Colombia. We knew a lot of the same people. Yeah, true. It wasn't like we avoided each other or anything. We just it was just the timing where I I left. You were in Pasto, I think, when I went to Pereira. Um. And our time in Ipialis only overlapped by maybe a month or so. Very short time. Because um, I came there before you, before your program started. I, had, I was already there for three or four months, I think. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get a chance to hang out much. Yeah, we Except lived in different one, parts of town. There was one party you were invited to where, where all my friends were there, but I wasn't invited to it. Right. And then the next party that they threw, they invited me, but I think you were already gone. <laughs> right, so it just never right. worked out. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that is interesting. We do we do know a lot of people in common, both foreigners in Colombia and Colombian people from our from living in Nariño, which is pretty cool. True. Yeah. So I guess the the genesis of this show is just kind of talking to each other, realizing we both love movies, right? We both liked talking and complaining about <laughs> or, right. or praising movies if we thought they were amazing, um, and then thinking. I've done podcasts before. <laughs> sure. I should, I should do this again. I, I have all this podcasting equipment lying around that I haven't sure. used for ages because I haven't really done it in a while. So I figured it would be it would be a good way to get back into it. Our opinions don't parrot each other. They sort of com- complement each other. There's certain movies that, that you're a big hmm. That I, I can take it or leave it, and there's certain movies that um, I've recommended to you. They're like, yeah, that, that was okay. That um, so, I, I, which I like. You know, we don't have the exact same taste, but we have we have a similar appreciation. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think we both appreciate film as a craft. Yes, yes, as an art, as a craft. Um, we de- we definitely have some of the same actors and directors that we both like. We both, yeah. Are we gonna say we're actors and actresses, Aubrey or Plaza we just gonna say, oh, Aubrey Plaza, stands. perfect example. <laughs> yeah, and like at yeah. some point, I I want to do. I kind of want to do just a, a podcast just for Aubrey Plaza movies. But I, that's I would love another, that. I would I would love to. I would love an idea. excuse to watch <laughs> Ingrid Goes West again. And then there's the one. Th- there's that one sex comedy that comes up on Netflix. I haven't seen. I can't remember what is it called. Is it the Mike and Dave need wedding dates? Not that one. The, the other one where she's like a student trying to chronicle her her 
Oh, uh, the the to do list. Yes, I like that movie. List. Actually, yeah, it was, it's and, underrated. Yes, <laughs> you you've you've recommended. I haven't seen it. You've recommended it to me, and and I've seen decent reviews of it from other people I respect. So yeah, and it has it has um I'm trying to remember his name now Johnny something, but he 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 plays a uh, young Neil in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, okay, okay. But I, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's like the main guy in that, and he's not really in anything anymore. But 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 that guy was a fantastic actor, so I wish one he of those guys. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I guess that's about it for this introduction. I guess this is kind of the kind of stuff that people will get to look forward to, just like our random bantering about film. Yeah. Uh, except a little bit more focused than this, obviously. Uh, I, sure. The point of the show is each week we're going to pick a movie or movies. If it's more than one movie, it, it'll be like either a movie and its sequel or sequels. Sure. Or like two movies that have a lot in common. Um, and then kind of examine, uh, like I said earlier, like how well do they hold up? So, yeah. What okay. people can uh, look forward to in the future. And just it was Johnny Simmons. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. He's an, he's actually no longer active. He he retired. Still very much alive, but he atti- he retired from acting. Okay. Yeah, because the the last thing he was in was around like 2016 or 2016. Yeah, 2016. Absolutely. Yeah, Johnny Simmons. If you ever listen to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I miss right. you. Come back. <laughs> right. Johnny Simmons and me and Sarah need to make a movie together. Two, two of my two. Oh, yeah. Actors who retired. I, I believe me and Sarah is, is, is like um, she's like managing a furniture store in New York City right now. So you can kind of just walk in and say, wow, hey, you're the girl from you're the girl from and say, hey, do you uh, remember that Bueller. movie you made? In the 1980s with Stuart Gordon, and I'm probably the only person who saw it. <laughs> I, I actually kind of, there's a certain yeah. thing, like, I, in, in a way, like the Mia Sarah thing where she had, like, sort of a nice, you know, Ferris Bueller, Legend, Time Cop, which, okay, that's an okay movie. It kind of, Again, I don't know, Time Cop might even hold up. But then you kind of walk away instead of going sort of the making VOD movies shot in Romania and, um, you know, you got to get that paycheck kind of movies. You know, in a way, it's kind of nice to leave when you're sort of. Yeah, it's probably probably good for her, honestly, that she walked away from that. And, and well, well, do you, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I used to I used to be a I, when I was in law school, I wrote for fightnews.com, which was a big boxing website. I'm a boxing fan. But um, and as I covered, I was their Miami correspond, correspondent. Sorry. And. It, there's a lot of boxers who kind of are part of the, there's boxing has circuits, right? Like you, there's a, like a South Florida circuit. There's a Midwestern circuit. There's a, you know, other Mexican has a Mexico, Mexico has several circuits. Anyway. So you would have some guys on a card. Maybe it would be like a six fight card. You have a couple prospects. Then you'd have like a rising up and comer who's maybe like 20, you know, who's trying to build towards a title fight. But then there'd often be like a guy who's like an ex-champion that was, you know, 30, 35 and six, but he's lost his last four fights. And, you know, I was like, dude, you were on HBO fighting in Madison Square Garden five years ago, and now you're fighting in a bar 
in you know Miami Beach in front of like twenty drunks, like like don't go out like this, you know. So Jeez. I think sort of the sort of the Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah. doing VOD movies is sort of that kind of that 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 metaphor, you know, of the the aging boxer who's not wanting, not willing to, maybe not financially able to, or not willing to hang up the gloves and just it's ending badly, you know. That sounds like it would be a good. Bruce Willis movie actually. <laughs> a great Bruce get out of that VOD world. Make a movie yeah, about Wes Anderson. Like an aging Wes Anderson, boxer who has you're to... listening, Wes Anderson, direct. You're the one guy who can still bring great performances out of Bruce Willis. Make it. I would love to see a Wes Anderson boxing movie. Like great. that would be really. Uh, oh, he played a I boxer. Lo- I love the way he fiction? shoots stuff. It would be really bizarre oh, and. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like quirky and Wes Anderson-y. And I would love it. I think that's a great premise. Sort of parallel go. real life. Because if you look on his IMDb or you look on his Wikipedia, it gets grim. You know, it gets after Moonrise Kingdom. You're like, whoa, there's like, you know, seven movies a year that are all straight to VOD shot in Romania. Yeah, Frank Grillo destroyed him. Alimony. <laughs> Did you see the Frank Grillo um, interview? Where he's like, I hate working with this guy. I'm paraphrasing, but I, I, he's like, this guy's so unprofessional. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, everyone else is showing up to do their job. And this guy is just, you know, rolls out of his trailer and mumbles a few lines and walks back to his trailer. It was, it was grim. It was grim. Wow. Hard to see that your childhood yeah. hero from Die Hard and, uh, you know, doing doing these doing these roles. Yeah, because apparently Kevin Smith kind of hated working with Bruce yes. Willis, too, and had the same experience. It was like his childhood hero. And then he's like, I finally get to work with him. And he's like, never, never again, like never work with your heroes. But then at the same time, like Kevin Smith made his worst movie ever with Bruce Willis and, (laughs) and is also kind of an incompetent director. I'm sure we'll do some episodes about him too. (laughs) I haven't, I haven't seen those ones. So I I watched yoga hosers on YouTube. I think think those ones didn't go to theaters though. I think they were like straight to streaming or something. Straight to his straight to view askew's website. Almost. It was, you know, it's kind of weird. He just makes it for his friends and they have his daughter his daughter and like I want to say Bruce Willis's daughter is the other character in Yoga Hosers, but it's really- it's a Johnny Depp's oh, daughter that's right, that's is right. the other girl. Oh yeah, and Johnny Depp's in that movie. It's I guess it's yeah. in it's in the Tusk universe. Yeah, it's which, bad. It's bad. It, it's grim. <laughs> it's it's well, bad. Again, I'm sure at some point one of the movies we'll probably look at is like uh, Clerks or Mallrats or something like that. Because those are the kinds of movies I want to look at with this show. It is stuff that. Uh, people really hold in high esteem, but that I haven't seen in sure. a long time, and I'm not sure is it is Clerks really that yeah, good? Yeah, Clerks that like, funny. Kevin Smith's last three or four movies kind of sucked. So, like, is his early stuff even that good? Like, how how well does that? And, hold and, up? and this isn't a hot take, but I've seen the Chasing Amy viewed in 2021 is a little like okay, whoa, this is kind of. You know, the whole the, the premise alone and the whole, you know, there's definitely a few. And I guess he wrote that based on a lot of personal experiences. So, you know, there's that. But um, there, there's definitely some issues within that movie. Yeah. And I don't think it's the only one. No, I definitely <laughs> in his filmography. Or it, it really in that in that time period of like the early 90s. I, I didn't like Mallrats the first go around. Um, I'm a big Clerks fan. I'm OK on Chasing Amy, but I'm not a huge fan. I thought the ending was terrible. 
And what's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? I just like the parodies with you know I like the I like the uh, Goodwill Hunting two part, but I don't really like the movie. But I like I I don't know, like I've told you before I love parodies and parody movies for the most part. So I thought that scene was clever and uh, Gus Van Sant counting counting his money off 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 uh, off camera. I thought that was pretty funny too. So but yeah, Kevin Smith, um, Kevin Smith's uh, not a. I, I can I can actually probably make that statement right now. Kevin Smith doesn't doesn't hold up for the most part. Fair enough. Yeah, I would probably agree. <laughs> but again, I think it would be worth it would be worth exploring somewhat at some point. But oh, um, it'd be fun to watch Patrick, again. Patrick, Patrick Willems has a really good video where he already does that and goes through his yeah. filmography. So. Yeah. Well, like I'm, I remember the. The, what you've talked about doing first is something I haven't seen. This concept is definitely something people have done. So, you know, um, but the whole, the Batman, uh, the Batman and its sequel. So, yeah, I guess we'll reveal. <laughs> we might as well reveal what we're going to be doing for the next. Uh, what, what will actually be the inaugural episode whenever I get this whole uh, podcasting set up and get it, an RSS feed and put it all on yeah. the Internet. Um, we're going to talk about the, just the Tim Burton Batman movies. I didn't, I don't want to clog it down too much and do the Joel Schumacher ones as well. Yeah, Cause I no. feel like they're a separate entity. And I don't think they're that nostalgic. Um, I don't think people are pining, you know, but I think people, actually, yeah, people kind of hate those movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I, I, I kind of like Batman forever. Actually, it's, a, it's forever kind of has a its fans. Pleasure movie. Yes, forever has its fans. I agree with that. But, um, yeah, but I just want to talk about Batman and Batman Returns specifically because I haven't seen them in a long time. And Neither have I. Um, actually, part part of the reason I wanted to do it was because, and I haven't seen it yet, but the new Justice League, the four-hour-long Zack Snyder cut just came out. So I feel like it's relevant in that sense. Sure. Um, and then also because uh, one of my professors at university who is also a pretty good friend of mine, uh, taught like a Japanese culture course and only like a few years older than me. So he kind of grew up with the same uh, movies and stuff. And we were talking one day after class and he mentioned that he recently rewatched Batman Returns and okay. he loves it. And it's his favorite Batman movie ever. Interesting. And I was like, really? Like is Batman Returns that good? So I, I told him I would rewatch it to see what I thought. And I haven't. So <laughs> this is kind of also to make good on that uh, promise. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I, I like it. Just, you know, sort of the, those are sort of the kind of precursor as far as they came out before Raimi Spider-Man. They were movies I saw in the theater when I was a little kid. And I lived, I grew up in upstate New York. The move, the closest movie theater was like 45 minutes away. So it's not like I watched a movie every weekend. You know, something that if my parents wanted to see a movie, um, in the theater, it was something that they actually really wanted to see. So it wasn't that I watched a bunch of like every weekend watch a different movie sort of thing. It was maybe a once a month experience, maybe. So um, yeah, it was kind of kind of the same for me okay. because with like when I got older, around 1999 ish, I think they opened a new theater in my hometown. But before oh, nice. that, it was the same thing. Like we had to travel about a half an hour outside of town. Uh, so, like, I remember going to see the Star Wars special editions and stuff like that, like r really big events. I, I moved to North out. Carolina in 96 in a, in a relatively big city. I'm oh, sorry, 94. And see, there was a little bit, you know, that's when I started dating and stuff. 
So then it was like, hey, what should we do this weekend? Want to go to dinner and a movie? And it's like, okay, what do you want to see? Ah, we'll figure out when we get there. And like you kind of go based on the poster. Because, you know, 1990, let's see, 1994 to 96, I was uh, sophomore, junior, senior year, whatever. Or, no, sorry, junior and senior year. And, I, you know, you, you don't really, the internet wasn't that big. There was no Rotten Tomatoes. You kind of went to the theater more based on trailers and posters as opposed to, you know, obviously there's no YouTube and all those sort of things. So I, in that part of my life, and then when I moved to Miami, I was watching a movie every weekend. Not that I had a date every weekend. Sometimes I would just go, go by myself or go with friends. But um, Yeah, same. You yeah. know, but then I watched a lot of junk. Like I watched a lot of bad movies and just completely disposable. Maybe they had a thea- theatrical run of two weeks. You know, movies that like if you were to like say, hey, do you remember this? Or, you know, like you look through someone's IMDb and say, wait, I don't remember this movie. And I'm like, yeah, I actually saw that in the theater. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had a very similar experience going to movies, but like with the time displaced because I'm younger right, than right. you. So <laughs> that was that was me in like around just after college. So I went to college 2006 to 2009, like right out of uh, high school. And then, so from about 2009 to like 2013, maybe, maybe even later, 2014, 2015, I was just seeing like everything. So in that, in that span of time, it's same kind of thing. Like I, I saw a lot of really obscure, terrible, I remember seeing Mars needs moms in theaters (laughs) And I was the only person in the theater. It was just me. Like, that's probably the saddest thing I I will ever admit on this podcast. And it was after seeing like two or three other movies. It was a day I just decided to do like a marathon and I had seen almost everything else in the theater. And I was like, what's left? Like, just Mars needs moms. So I might as well. And weird thing is, I, I didn't hate it, actually. Like... Maybe I need to rewatch right. it. I just remember the reviews were terrible, but I was like, it wasn't that bad. I don't know. So you, you've probably had similar experiences of seeing like movies so obscure that you're like the only person in the theater. Absolutely. And, and a lot of those, like you said, they're, they're <laughs> obscure. And like I was watching them before the, like, and then sometimes what I would do is I'd watch the movie and like, sometimes you just enjoy the theater experience I'm like, that was okay. And then you read some like reviews that are so like, okay, actually that, and then like, not that, not that I base my opinion on what the reviewer said, but just when the reviewer points out these either plot flaws or I was like, yeah, you know what? I wasn't paying attention and I, I missed that, but yeah, that's a major plot hole sort of thing. So yeah, I, I and I don't, I'm, and I'm not so. It's like, oh, this movie's reviewed well, so it's got to be good. This movie's reviewed poorly, it's got to be poorly. I, there's some poorly reviewed movies I really enjoy and vice versa. But, um, you know, generally speaking, the good reviewers know what they're talking about a lot of times. You know, I, even when I disagree with them, the points that they make are like, okay, this is a, this is a valid criticism. Yeah, like, fair enough. Yeah. Or like a, if a movie has a lot. If if it has like a ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, even if it's not my favorite movie, like generally I can understand why it has garnered so much praise. Yes. Like, like I didn't think that Mad Max Fury Road was God's gift to cinema. But Good example. Apparently, every critic in the world did. <laughs> Good it example. has like a ninety six percent or something on on Rotten Tomatoes. 
And for me, it was like a 7 out of 10. Like, I thought it was okay. It's just, it's not my favorite. It's not even my favorite Mad Max movie. <laughs> so, yeah, me neither. But I can un- I understood where the praise came from. I think it, it was the time and place in which it came out, which also co- goes back to the idea for this podcast. Is like, yeah. how does this stuff hold up outside of that time? Like, taking yeah. the stuff out of its... Uh, there's this idea in film theory of like incidental meaning, which is like the the meaning that of the film that comes from the time in which it was made, uh, not from the director himself or anything like that, but just like a movie from 1994 is going to have meaning based on the fact that it was made in 1994. Right. Even if right. it's a movie about the Civil War or something. It's still going to be the Civil War filtered through the eyes of a 1994 person. So, right. so, like when you take when you take the film out of that and bring it into now, uh, what changes about it? Like, is it true? True. True. Uh, true. Are there cheesy things about it that weren't cheesy in 1994? Probably. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, obviously, so. some of the things like special effects are different, but I don't. To me, that's very rarely is something that I hold against a movie. Oh yeah, or for me, sometimes it's like a plus. Like if they if they had no CGI and they had to use all practical effects, like oh, uh, yeah. the original The Thing, for example, with like Rob Bottin doing all these crazy makeup effects sure. and the guy's like head detaching from his body and stuff. Like that's just mind blowing to me. And then they they did the. 2011 the thing and it's all cgi and it was just oh, like a snooze fest because who cares <laughs> and, and, think, and actually i find the the remake of the thing or i guess the prequel watchable it's, i don't hate that movie but yeah the original is so good uh, another you know another the blob practical effects miniatures yeah the kevin what's his name kevin not kevin bacon kevin uh Kevin Dillon? Yeah, Kevin Dillon movie. And I think I think the thing with, like, uh, and we'll kind of get into this when we talk about practical effects and stuff, because I'm a huge, like, I love watching behind-the-scenes featurettes and, and uh, reading about this stuff and learning mm-hmm. about how practical effects are done. Uh, less so with, with CGI, because it's just a guy on a keyboard. And yeah, sure. I'm not interested in learning how to program. But, <laughs> but um... <laughs> Yeah, I like that you can kind of barely tell that it's fake, yeah. but you still kind of accept it at the same time. But there's a part of your brain that knows this was fake and it was made by a per like a person made this with their hands. Like right. they actually molded and crafted this by hand. Like to me, that's just the coolest thing ever. Even if it looks oh, less real than something made in a computer. The fact that somebody actually took the time to like mold and sculpt whatever it is, a miniature or uh, like a makeup effect on a person's face or whatever, uh, is just yeah. the coolest thing to me. I'm sure when we talk about Batman, I'm sure some of that will come up. <laughs> yeah, that's and that and like I haven't seen that movie in such a long time. I don't remember any large CGI, you know, uh, any you know special effects scenes, but I'm, I'm sure they're there. Definitely a lot of makeup going Oh, yeah, on. there's – yeah, there's – and there's a lot of, like, uh, miniatures and re- – that movie won an Academy Award for set design, so – Yeah, uh, I, and I, deservedly I, it so. It has, it has really sure. cool sets. And, you know, 
Tim Burton is a director who I haven't really revisited very much. Like, I actually watched Edward Scissorhands when I was in Ipialis because a friend of mine coming through was like, hey, you've never seen this movie? You have to see it. I really enjoyed it. And what what else is he really known for? Uh, Probably the biggest ones are like Beetlejuice, um, Mars Attacks. I haven't seen that in years. Uh, Big Fish is another one. Haven't seen that, yeah. Uh, Ed Wood. I don't know if you've seen Ed Ed Wood might be my favorite Tim Burton movie, actually. I would assume that's his best movie, right? Yeah, I would say like overall. But then Tim Burton kind of uh, recently. uh, (laughs) Not a huge fan of recent Tim Burton. I liked. um, Oh, I I actually watched the Alice in Wonderland movie in the theater. I hated that movie. It was really bad. Really, really bad. (laughs) It hurt. It's one of the few movies I've seen that actually hurt my eyes. Like I had to look away from the screen and just like stare at the floor for a good chunk of that movie. Yeah. It, it actually it gave me a headache, which usually like mm-hmm. CG and 3D and stuff like that doesn't do that to me. But that movie, I don't know yeah. what it was about. It was just too much. There was just too much colorful <laughs> shit flying at me. And I was just like, oh, man. And, and the I, movie I itself say, was stupid. Like, even if it didn't hurt my yeah, eyes, exactly. it was just bad. <laughs> it's it actually funny. I was about to say, um, it reminds me a little bit of the unpleasant experience I had watching. Like, the only movie I nearly walked out of was the, uh, the was it, is it The 300 or 300? What, what, that, that, a that, 300, yeah. I, it was a, such an unpleasant experience. I, I likened it to watching a child play a really bad video game. Like, oh, now the elephant stage. Let's fight the elephants. Oh, and now the rhinos. Oh, now the magicians. I, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was idiotic. Um, and I also just, I thought like it was just an assault on the senses. Just, it was not, it wasn't pleasant to look at. It was, and, and I'm not like, I don't hate Zack Snyder. Um I probably like Watchmen more than you like Watchmen, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know. I'd have to re that's another movie I have to revisit is Watchmen because I'm not. I, see, I don't quite know if I sure want to rewatch that movie. I, I like the HBO series <laughs> and I was like I I, I think it it was come when I had HBO, I think Watchmen came up and I, I remember what rewatching a few there's a few scenes that are just so bad, like the jailbreak scene that really detracts from the movie, but then there's other scenes that I actually mm. do and I like the plot, but that's, you know, whatever. That's because I like the book. And it's from the comic, too. Like, it's only because yeah. the comic is so great. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Watchmen, for me, was, uh, I think it suffered from actually being too close to the source material. I think he just tried too hard to make the comic almost frame by frame into the movie instead of just And, and I guess he did that with thing. 300, too, right? And- yeah, but they're the. I think the difference is Watchmen is like one of the greatest graphic novels ever made. True. And 300 is not. <laughs> 300 is Frank Miller. Frank Frank Miller, a lot of his stuff has just not held up. Right. I think Alan no, Moore is just a much more yeah. like. like he, he's kind person. of like the. He's sort of, I guess, like kind of, I don't know. Can I say he's like a racist old man? But uh, Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of. Frank no. Miller at this point, he did he did good stuff in the eighties, which is like the time period in which he belongs. <laughs> right, and then he like like Frank Miller himself. I feel like a lot of his stuff has not aged well. 
Right. Uh, so yeah, I I'm the same. I I I'm not a huge 300 fan. So yeah. I feel like if that's the kind of movies you like, this podcast is probably yeah, not for I, you. I, I, I'm gonna go out and actually <laughs> say 300 is probably the worst movie I've ever seen. It's, it's definitely the worst movie I've seen in the theater. Oh wow, that's a bold claim. Yeah, I and think I've seen a lot my, of junk in the theater. I don't know what the worst movie. I think the movie I almost walked out on that I that I hated watching the most in the theaters was Transformers 3. Ah, see, I, by that period of life, I wasn't going to the theater a lot, so I, I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies in theaters, nor the Transformers movies. I haven't seen any of, like, the recent big blockbuster movies. In the Last movie I thought in the theater was... Okay, I saw Apocalypse Now. Oh, the director's cut. Yeah, the 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 final cut. I think it was called. And I saw. I saw that director. too. I, I I still prefer the original, like two and a half hour version. But I I, I might because I saw I, it I, I liked it. <laughs> I I saw that here in Medellin, and then I saw the Tarantino Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in Medellin, which was great because I watched it in a theater with a lot of people who had no idea about the, um the. Charles Manson murders. So after the movie, they were like, wait, oh. why was Margot Robbie in that movie? <laughs> Her character had nothing to do with anything. And I was like, oh, because in real life, she gets murdered by those guys. This is the, like, I was explaining, like, I was, I was in the lobby explaining the Charles Manson, Tate LaBianca murders to a group of Colombians. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's fascinating. Cause yeah, I, I never thought about that, like, if like just thinking like if this uh, didn't happen in real life, then it's right. true. Like she has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And, and I didn't think about that either. Enjoyed like, the movie, like they loved the movie. Like they weren't like, oh, this is. But they're just confused because they didn't realize this was a true story that was that was changed. Yeah, fair enough. Really that could be a fun show one day. Like, how do these American centric movies play to the Chinese audience or the the uh, south american audience or anything you know yeah well i you know i i was just thinking like i went to see that movie with my girlfriend at the time who was chinese and okay. she didn't really get it either like I was, it was the same thing like i kind of had to explain oh charlie manson was a murderer in the late 60s and blah 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 i mean he didn't actually murder anyone but he made other people murder them and like right. i had to kind of tell her the right. whole history because this isn't a thing they learn about in china <laughs> I, I was actually on the edge of my seat in the theater because that was one of the few movies I I wasn't spoiled on, and I was thinking uh, like I like I I I knew I knew who Sharon I know who Sharon Tate is I knew all that stuff and I was like I really enjoyed the Margot Robbie character and I was like wow I really like and I was really enjoying the movie and having such a fun time in the movie and I was like I really don't want to see her like cut the pieces by these 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 cultists and then i was thinking also i don't want to see brad pitt and leonardo's character killed either by these cultists so when the final sequence comes and leonardo and brad brad pitt kill off the cultists i was like i was like on the edge of my i was so happy because i had no idea that was the direction he was going in i thought it was just going to be they go kill margot robbie and maybe they even kill kill one of them too and when they didn't, I was like, yeah, same. Cheering. Like, I, I, I thought it was going to be a really dark. Yes. Like, I don't I didn't think he was going to. Sh- I thought he was going to be tasteful about it and not like show the whole murder. Sure, uh, sure. 
Like it's a Gaspar. I, I no definitely film didn't think he was going to rewrite <laughs> like, history. But, I did not think. But, I did not yeah, assume history. Which I I should have guessed because he he already rewrote history in like two previous movies. This is like exactly. the end of a trilogy <laughs> of him like rewriting uh, past atrocities kind of thing. So right. I, I should have seen it coming because it's basically like uh, this Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards are kind of like sure. Quentin Tarantino's like rewriting atrocities of the past thematic trilogy that he made. Uh, but anyways, I think I feel like we've talked long enough for the intro episode. Uh, I, just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you uh, just... As, I don't know if this is going to be a reoccurring segment or whatever, but uh, what have you been like watching or enjoying lately? Um, Since we okay. can't really leave the house all that much these days. Uh, let me throw you my <laughs> last few out there, um, and then you and then you give because one of them was your recommendation, the art of self defense, which I, I did enjoy. That was weird, but I, good weird. Um, I watched a, a series on Netflix called El Innocente with uh, my favorite actor, Mario Casas. It's not a movie, but it was like a, I want to say six, six or eight episodes. Really, really, really good. I won't spoil anything because I really, really liked it. And then the movie we were talking about briefly offline, um, uh, Time Freak, which I really, really enjoyed too. Um, oh, and then a movie I really hated was the Nicolas Cage beating up um, robot movies, uh, Willy's Wonderland. I, I oh. thought that was so boring. Okay, I was going to call it like Five Nights at Freddy's the movie. Yes, which is what it was. What it is. <laughs> uh, I actually, I liked the girl in it. Uh, the girl, the actress, actor, the, the, she was good. Everything else was terrible. Um, it was, there was no originality. Every fight scene was a carbon copy where he just basically punches the monsters to death. There's no cleverness to it. There was never a moment where he was in trouble. Like just the monster popped up and he'd punch it to death. And then another monster, like there was no, there was no moment in his character. Like no dramatic tension. Oh yeah. There was no, it wasn't funny. It wasn't, and it, I guess it probably could have been okay. Um, if they went in a different direction, but it was really, and I guess that movie has followers because, you know, Nicolas Cage and whatever the, the concept of Nicolas Cage beating up robots, I guess is maybe better in practice than in, uh, in, uh, in reality, but no, but anyway, that's, I, I would definitely, I, I would agree with you. I would recommend Art of Self-Defense and I would definitely recommend El Innocente. And how about you? What are your last couple watches? Um, actually, I was going to say the guy who directed Art of Self-Defense also directed, and I'm going to have to look up the name of it. <laughs> he directed another movie. I'm just going to IMDb it real quick. It actually, it stars uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, I love her. She's great. Oh, the guy's called Riley Stearns is the name of oh, the that's right, director. That's right. uh, Faults was the name of the movie came out a few years before that 2014 and it's like uh mary elizabeth winstead is this girl who's like kind of fallen into a cult and then uh, this the main actor i've never really heard of him but he did a really good job actually uh i'm gonna have to look up his name now too is it leland orser uh yeah leland orser 
Oh, he's the guy he that he's in seven. He's the guy that's like he's the guy that 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 John Doe makes him have sex with the prostitute with the the dildo knife, and he's remember. Oh, and he's he's like he's in a he's in a he's in like a towel, and he's like he's like I I had he had a gun he had a gun like he's like there's one of the best like little small scenes, and then he was in a he was also in a seven ripoff. He played the um, that came out right, like when it, when when Seven was a hit. Oh, the the Bone Collector again. I think. Well, that was I'm that just was looking the at IMDb now. He, he was in Resurrection, which is a Canadian film with Christopher Lambert playing. He, it's about it's a it's a beat for beat copy of Seven, but instead of the Seven Deadly Sins, he's the killer is trying to recreate Jesus Christ on the cross. So he's killing like thirty. How old was Jesus? 31? 31, whatever Jesus is. 33, I think. Okay, 33. 33-year-old. 33 yeah. And, like, he has some, one guy's head, one guy's arm, one guy's torso, one guy's heart. So, and I think it was actually a a, re, a remake of of a seven, uh, like, a seven script. Like, someone wrote, like, a script for, like, a seven TV show or something, and they, they, they repurposed it as this this watchable but not very good movie. Oh. I like that actor. Weird. I'm glad you mentioned him. <laughs> Leland Oser. I'm a big fan, actually. I'm a big... I'm a Leland Oser fan. Oh, so yeah, I would say definitely check out Faults then. It's it's less funny than Art of Self-Defense. Although Art of Self-Defense isn't really like... It's it not on the surface funny. It's yeah, kind it's of funny like once funny. you're in <laughs> on the joke. Yeah. <laughs> I found it a little bit more disturbing than funny, actually. But uh, faults is the, yeah, it's more it's more disturbing than art of self defense. Okay, I'm gonna watch he, it. Then. He plays like a cult deprogrammer, but he kind of gets reprogrammed himself. Okay. He's like he's like a cult deprogrammer who's like super down on his luck. Like the opening scene is him in a restaurant, not able to pay for his bill, and, and it, like he he starts eating ketchup at one point. Because <laughs> he he runs out of food and they're trying to like take his plate away, like so he's like this super down in his luck, uh, uh, once famous cult deprogrammer, and then uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's parents hire him to uh, take her to a hotel for a weekend and try to like deprogram her from this cult that she's joined. Um, so yeah, that was one of the things I watched recently, and then the other thing I was telling you that I just started getting into is Mindhunter. Love um, that show. Are you on season I, one or season two? Uh, just the second episode. <laughs> yeah, I just started it. I, I hated the first episode of that show. And that's one of my favorite shows. But the first episode was so slow. And the weird thing with the girlfriend that never really becomes a thing. I'm not going to spoil anything. But that show becomes amazing. And the first episode was, for me, I think I had to turn it off twice before I finally just got through it. And then it was like several weeks later that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I have nothing else to do. Let me watch this show again. And then I started with episode two and I, I was just completely hooked. But the first episode I found, I found it really, really, really like difficult to watch. It was so slowly paced and boring, <laughs> but I love the show. See, I didn't mind the first episode actually, but it, it definitely got better in the second episode. Like I think, because the reason I was watching it was because, like, that guy that plays Ed Kemper, 
I had seen clips of him on YouTube and stuff, and I was like, oh, man, this guy is so perfect. Cameron. And that, that was, was kind of, that was why I, I came, basically. And then he shows up in episode two, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> I, he, he won an Emmy. This is why I'm here, were, basically. Were you familiar with Ed Kemper before that show? Only, like, in passing. Like, okay, not, yeah. Not super, not as much as, like, Ted Bundy or something like that. Sure. To, to me, that's one of those shows where um, it's one of those pause F- uh, follow a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole for the next three hours reading about oh. <laughs> and then start watching again because it's, you know, all these, all these people actually existed. And then it was, yeah, familiar. You know, of course you're familiar with some of them like Charles Manson, but like Ed Kemper, I wasn't familiar with. And the, the, the guy, the, I, he comes in the later episode. Some, he was some, uh, army guys, Marine who killed a bunch of women in Texas or something. And like, I would literally be pausing the show, reading all these like true crime websites, watching the show a little more pause. I loved Mindhunter. I thought it, you know, kind of like, you know, as you know, I used to be a lawyer and I focused on criminal defense. So that was maybe part of it too. love the show. You're going to, you're going to love season two, I think as much too. So you have that to look forward to. Awesome. Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to it big time. I'm a huge David Fincher fan. Me too. Seven, um, again, seven. To it all kind of, it reminds me a little bit of the Hannibal. I'm, I'm losing my voice. Of the Hannibal TV series. Which I wasn't kind a big of fan similar. of. I, I'm not a big Hannibal fan. I thought that. Oh. I, I just, I thought it was kind of too gory and the bad guys won too much. And I, I wasn't a big fan of Will. He's kind of sweaty and unlikable i don't know that's one of those shows that is so critically oh, man i'm and so highly recommended. yeah i'm the opposite that's like one of, that's like a top 10 show of all time for me i probably I'm need to revisit it honestly i probably need to revisit it it does it does like i will critique it a little bit and say it gets repetitive yeah um, especially in the first season because it's just like one serial killer after another and they all have a wacky gimmick of like one guy is like i'm gonna turn all the bodies into a totem pole and then another guy's like i'm gonna turn all the bodies into uh like a human kaleidoscope and it's like i don't think serial killers are this creative and the fact that there's that many of them within that short of a period of time and all in one part of the United States, like what, I what agree are the chances with that. of that? Like, I, also, I also didn't like the fact that, like, obviously Hannibal's the bad guy, but nobody knows it except for the viewer. I found that a little bit annoying because I was just like... See, that was, the, that was the stuff I did like. Like, the procedural part of it, I feel like, hasn't aged well, but the part with Will and Hannibal and... Uh, can't remember his name in the show but like Lawrence Fishburne's character that their whole dynamic is, is was just fantastic for me so I in the later seasons when it focused more on that part of it was when I really got into Hannibal how many years did that show run uh just three three okay and by season three like no one was watching it except me <laughs> And people have been trying to get a fourth season going for years on Netflix or something, and it just has never. Yeah, I've read that. And I guess because there, there's more books, right? There's more. There's more than. There's more books than movies, I guess. Uh yeah. Well, the, the TV show kind of mixes up the timeline from the books. So it's yeah, a little confusing. and they change some things. But, they have Chilton. Yeah, they get set on fire. 
instead of Freddy, Freddy the Reporter. And they have some of the stuff from Han- like the book Hannibal, which is a sequel to Silence of the Lambs, takes place before Silence of the Lambs in the TV series. So it was more like inspired by the book, I guess, or books. Uh, but they never got around to doing Silence of the Lambs in the in the series. You're right, like they it, didn't. It they ends, actually never did Buffalo Bill. Yeah, it, it ends with the Red Dragon story. Right, the Ralph Fiennes movie. I think now there's that new series called Clarice, which I haven't watched yet, but that's more of a Silence of the Lambs type of thing. But it doesn't take place in the same universe, which which kind of discouraged me. I was like looking into it like, oh, is this like a sequel to the Hannibal TV series? But it's about but Clarice. But it's different. And, yeah, that would no, be cool. It's just a totally separate thing. <laughs> that's interesting. So I, I have not watched it yet. All right. <laughs> that's funny. Well, you'll you'll love Mindhunter. I, I hope I, I I loved Mindhunter. I, I actually envy. You. All right, I haven't seen enough. Mindhunter. I want to create a time machine and go back in time where I haven't seen it so I can watch it for the first time. Because it's not the best rewatchable show now when you know everything that happens. But um, I really love the show. So the fact that you've seen it for the first time is really good for you. good for you. That's great. All right. Well, I I guess that's about it for us. Yeah. I, 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 it's already getting great. pretty late here in Canada. It is. Yeah, it's late. and We've gone an hour, so it's good time, I think. Thank you. All right. Thank you, good sir. And I will see you in... I don't know, a week or two weeks or whenever we record, we record the next episode.